Welcome back to Three Point Podcast. I'm your host, Avi. Say hi, my co-host. What's up? Um, today, we're going to talk about, you know, the NBA season so far and uh, everything we've learned, everything we've seen. And I think a good thing to talk about um, would be a couple of the interesting teams um, that caught our attention. You know, not every team is interesting. And I think that is interesting for teams, right? Like, if a great team isn't interesting, that's interesting. But whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, you want to choose a, t- a team to start with, and that's what we'll start with. Okay. So I think one of the, the more interesting teams in a positive way is the Chicago Bulls. Now, I think the Chicago Bulls personally were the biggest surprise. Now, there's some people that thought they were going to be amazing to like before the season that was their prediction and that's great but I did not think so I thought they were going to be a middle of the pack maybe like seven seed six seed type of team um but I really didn't think they'd be like a consistent top team and like going into the season I really thought they would just be I thought they would be like the the third tier in the east like not a contender like the like Brooklyn or like Milwaukee and not like the next tier even. I didn't even think they'd be in a tier with like Boston or with Philly. I thought they'd be the tier under that, but so far they're like in the contenders team tier. It's very surprising. Right. I mean, that does have to do with the fact that some of the contenders are starting off very slow, like Boston and Philly and like Atlanta. Like those teams are like around the playing team. So if they jump up and a team like the Bulls jumps down, then they won't be this high. But nevertheless, to start off the season, they were amazing. The Biggest part of their offense, at least, was DeMar DeRozan. Now, if I want to pull the stats for a second, I think DeMar DeRozan has played like an all-NBA caliber player so far. Um, It's just everything he's doing offensively is really just from the mid-range, which is why it's so impressive that, you know, usually offensive, like, stars, like, or the best player on the best team, even if he's just an offensive player – there's a lot of three-point shooting, a lot of playmaking, you know, a lot of, like, tough shots. But DeRozan just has tough shots, and they're not even, like, the most efficient shots. They're the least efficient shots. They're, like, deep mid-range and, like, yes, slaps occasionally. But very rarely do we see threes in DeRozan, and that's a female throughout his career. He's averaging 26 points. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, wait, you can say stats and then. So he's averaging 26 and a half, which he never averaged since, I think, 2017 which is crazy. Um, He's averaging five rebounds, four assists, um, shooting 50% from the field, 33% on threes, but only two attempts a game. Um, And from the free throw line, almost 90. So it's like 50, whatever from three, 90. So very efficient, 26 points. Yeah. Also, I think something that's worth noting is his defense. He's been a subpar defender, probably, I would say, for most of his career. But in this lineup, the Bulls are, have a top 10 defense, and you could give the credit to whoever you want to give the credit to with Lonzo and Caruso, but you have to give the credit to the the other offensive stars also that they must be playing defense on the defensive end also because they, they're they playing at a high level on both sides of the floor, and even if it's not a top defense, defense from each person, it's he is playing much better defense than he has in past years, and I think that's very impressive. Right. DeRozan, yeah. Um, one of the biggest negatives in DeRozan's career was his defense. And obviously this season, the Bulls are fifth in defense. Yeah. 
who I actually want to segue into Lonzo Ball and Alex Crusoe, who I think are the defensive anchors for this team. Lonzo Ball, um, I'm not even going to talk about his offense right now, but he's playing elite defense. I've heard many NBA analysts talk about how, how they're going to consider him for an all-defensive team, which is really impressive for him in his career. Um, and Alex Caruso, I mean, there's no stat to show this, but I think he's been – I really can't think of any better perimeter defenders in the league, honestly. Like, I've watched Drew Holiday play a couple of games. It's not as impressive as Caruso. Just transition defense – poking the ball, just off-ball defense, being able to read screens. He just does everything you want from a bench player. I mean, Alex Crusoe has been so important for them. Yeah, and, and it's crazy. With Nikola Vucevic, as you're starting center, you can't really protect the paint. You know, their power forward has been a random player every every game. DeRozan's not that great of a defender. Levine is not that great of a defender. So Alonzo and Caruso making them a top-five defense is very impressive. Yeah, I think that the defense, it's very good, but it could also just be that the other teams are cold against them. We saw this last year with the Knicks. Like, the Knicks had the best opposing three-point percentage um, for most of the season. And then in the playoffs, the Hawks just started hitting their shots, and then the their opposing three-point percentage was very bad. So you can't really credit it all to the defense because it could just be like that now again. But – I'm not taking away any credit because it what we've seen so far this season from Crusoe and Alonzo and even from DeRozan and even Levine also, they both stepped up their defense. It's very impressive. Yeah. I mean, obviously for the Knicks, their offense was horrendous, but yeah, their defense was, I mean, yeah, like there's nothing to do against the Hawks, even though they had a top five defense. So you're right. Um, but to talk about their offense for a second, Zach Levine um, has continued his amazing season last season, his first time making an all-star team last year. And, you know, the Bulls were not good last season. Um, it was really just Zach Levine. And uh, they acquired Vucevic late, but they were not really contending for any, anything other than the top pick. So Levine last year averaged 27 points and uh, f- five rebounds, five assists on um, around – 50, 49, 50, 40, 85 splits, which is amazing. Um, he shot a lot of shots. And the big question was in the offseason when they added Alonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, and they fully have Vucevic, it's like, well, yeah, Lavino's 27-point-per-game score last season, but what's going to happen this season? And the answer is he's a 26-point-per-game scorer on pretty much the same efficiency on the exact same amount of field goal attempts a game and a little less free throw attempts a game, which you can credit to new rules and whatever, but – his situation and his role in the new situation is the same as last year when adding a shot heavy player like DeRozan. So I think at the addition of Lonzo ball creates so much more opportunities for Levine and DeRozan and Vucevic that that's where Lonzo um, provides his value. And Zach Levine is an amazing scorer and DeRozan is an amazing scorer. I mean, this team is so well-rounded and if they can keep their defense up, I think they can be legitimate, legitimate contender in the East, which Makes the East look so amazing. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think that one of the things I love so much about Alonzo Ball is that he doesn't need a score to, to impact the game. And he impacts the game in every way. He impacts the game in defense. He sets up his his teammates for threes, for shots, for everything. He even he even spreads the floor with, with his shot, with his threat as a three-point shooter, shooting over 40% from three. Um, I think that that's one of the reasons why we're seeing Levine and DeRozan have such a good offensive 
um, stats even this year when there's so much other offensive players is because you're surrounded by players like like Lonzo and like Caruso who are trying to make their teammates better. And I think it just fits so well, this team. Yeah, this team's been a pleasant surprise. All right. Uh, whenever you're ready, your turn. You want to pick the next team? Yeah. Um, a team that is streaking right now. They are on a seven-game win streak after being the worst, looking like they were going to be the worst team in basketball history, maybe. Um, the Houston Rockets started off 1-16, and and then they won seven games straight. Um, the games, the streak started with a win against Chicago, and so far the latest has been a win against the Bull, the the Nets, with not so much impressive wins in the middle. Like, oh, like they beat OKC, I think, a couple of times. They beat Detroit, maybe, but teams like that, it wasn't so impressive that they beat them. But then they last night they beat the the Nets, even if, without Kevin Durant, it was still very impressive. Now they're eight and sixteen which is 13th in the West and only two and a half games back from the playing tournament. Um, one very interesting thing about this, this win streak is that it's all been, except for the first quarter of the game against Chicago, it's all been without their rookie, their top five pick, Jalen Green. Um, wow. Just Jalen Green, we'll talk about him for a minute. He's been averaging 14 points on below 40% field goal percentage and below 30% from three. Um, but he's had moments where you're like, wow, this kid could fly. He's a, a, an athletic freak. Um, but obviously he's a 19 year old shooting guard. And as those come in the league, they usually have games where they are shooting very poorly and other games where they just get hot and don't miss. We've seen this last year with Anthony Edwards, a very similar situation where I think he could, um, Jalen Green could have a similar rookie season where he started off okay, then he had like a, few, a a rough stretch where he was very inefficient, but then he ended off great. And then next season, then if you look at if you look at Anthony Edwards now, he's like maybe we'll talk about the Timberwolves later. He's looking like a he's looking very good. He his shot selection is still questionable, but like he hits his shots now, and I could see Jalen Green having a very similar like um. So very similar similar journey in his first in his early years in the NBA. Um, what's interesting is that he hasn't been around for this um, for this win streak. I don't know. I think that's probably just because they're getting more shots to other players now because he's not taking so many shots. But I don't think it's such a big deal. It's not. I don't think it's it's concerning for Houston fans to see like, oh, we're doing this without we're doing this only because Jalen Green's out. I think you could look at it the opposite, opposite way and say, no, we're doing this despite Jalen Green being out. Even though he's had an inefficient start to his career, he's 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 going to be great. He's gonna You could tell he's going to be great. Yeah, um, another thing about Jalen Green, we definitely have seen raw potential, like very raw potential, but the potential's there. I mean, he's a number two overall pick. So, yes, him shooting poorly – is a little below expectation, but it's nothing to worry about. Like for Houston fans, like this is not this is not something that's gonna stay for his career. I hope, and I, I really don't think so. That doesn't that wouldn't really make sense. But um, you know, I don't like to take a lot from the regular season, but saying that you know, making an assumption that oh they lost so many games, Shane Green, and then he's out, and they go on a seven game win streak. Like you're you're trying to not you, but like if people are trying to assume that. Well, maybe the Rockets better without Jalen Green. Like dumb assumptions. I don't know. I think 
I think regular season is always weird and there's not much to, you know, to get from it, but I think some yeah, positives, especially, especially the start of the regular season, like it's only been how many games it's been under 30 games. We're not exactly. Yeah. We're, we're not, we're, we're like two months away from the all-star break. You know, Houston's clearly not going to make the playoffs. I mean, it would be crazy if they do, but that they're probably not going to make the playoffs. So whatever they do next season doesn't really matter. And if they're winning, it really doesn't matter because they probably won't have a top, top pick anymore. But nevertheless, a player I want to do, I want to focus on for a second is Josh Christopher. Now, last night against the Nets, he went seven for seven, four for four from three. He had 18 points and he looked great. And I think that does have to do with what you said with Jalen Green being out. Other players have more opportunity and he is the same position as him. Um, you know, players like Eric Gordon uh, have been doing pretty well. Um, I think the Rockets can flip him for maybe a pick or some value from like the Lakers, Clippers, you know, he some other teams that yeah, contenders you know, should be should be calling the Rockets trying to get Eric Gordon. Yeah, but I do think that like an Eric Bledsoe for Gordon move could make sense because of Eric Bledsoe's contract. But it is hard to think of contenders with a contract of like about eighteen million that would fit for Eric Gordon. Like the, the Lakers can't make a move if they try. Um, the, there's so many teams that can't really make the move. But um, another player on the Rockets doing well is Garrison Matthews, who most people probably don't know or don't even know he's on the Rockets, but he's been amazing for them, I guess. And Jordan, it's always, he is a, a threat from deep. He does not miss those threes. Yeah. And even last night, I'm looking at the boxer. He was three for 11 from three, but he still. It's serious. I don't know about other games, but I mean, no, he, he's a great he gets his threes. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he, that he's a three point specialist and he's shooting a lot this season. It's always interesting to see, you know, a team that, yes, they're not openly tanking, but when you start one for 16, you know, it's kind of bittersweet to see that team start to win games. And when you see a player that's not even so young in Garrison Matthews, you know, get to such an opportunity. And like he wasn't even, he's not like Eric Gordon is always on the Rockets. They just like picked him up and decided. He's on a two way. He's on a two way contract. On a two way contract, and he's not that young. I, I, I don't know how young he is. Yeah. Um. He he's twenty five years old. He's not a long term contract, but he's not. So he's not Josh Christopher like nineteen. So there's not much development the Rockets going to do with him. So it's always like a bittersweet feeling to see the Rockets win a game with. Garrison Matthews when they should probably go for a higher pick. But uh, Rockets are very interesting. Yeah. Also, another reason why they started winning games is because they started playing one big man, not two. They were playing Daniel Tice and Christian Wood for the beginning of the season. Then once they took out Daniel Tice and just playing Christian Wood mostly, he's been playing much, much better. This floor has not been as – like the paint hasn't been as clustered. You've been able to get into the paint. The floor is based better. I think that that's – that's a huge reason why they started winning games. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, also, Deshaun Tate, shout out to him. He's playing really great. He looks, he's looking like he could, he's a great two way player. His defense is pretty underrated, it's pretty solid. And his offense, he's shooting 50% from the field, averaging wow. like 12 points around. Well, a, big, yeah. a big question I have is Kevin Porter Jr. This is just, I just don't know if he can be a point guard, a franchise point guard for a team. He coming, coming out of, coming out of USC, right? He went to USC. Yeah. He, he, he didn't look like he was going to be 
a point guard. He looked like he would be like a shooting guard, small forward, maybe like a very small, small forward, like a wing. But now he, they just decided that he's a point guard. And I don't, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical about him and his point guard abilities. He averages um, a lot of turnovers. He averages four turnovers a game. And he, he is averaging 5.8 assists, but four turnovers a game to 5.8 assists is not a good ratio at all. And he's shooting 35% from the field and 30% from three. So he's not even efficient, but he's getting his shots up, which I guess is good. Um, he does – I have the stats here. He passes around 13 – a little under 13 passes to Christian Wood a game. And Christian Wood scores 48% of shots he takes off Kevin Porter Jr. passes, which is 2% higher than he shoots from the field overall. So that's good. That means he's he's shooting better when he gets a pass from Kevin Porter Jr. But on the other hand, he passes – Kevin Porter Jr. passes 9.7 times to Jalen Green a game. And Jalen Green scores – 26% of shots he takes off Kevin Porter Jr. passes. 26.6% is almost 10% worse than Jalen Green shoots overall from the field when it's not passes from Kevin Porter Jr. So you can't really look too much into it because on one hand, it looks like Christian Wood's better from passes but from Kevin Porter Jr. But on the other hand, Jalen Green is worse from passes to Kevin Porter Jr. So I don't know what to make of that stat. I just, per 36, he averages 4.8 turnovers. I don't know if he's the the point guard for this team. Yeah. I mean, clearly Kevin Porter Jr. is not like a natural point guard. I think even coming in, I don't even think he was considered a combo guard. He was just a shooting guard and he was drafted late, maybe like the late twenties, I think the 30th pick maybe to the Cavaliers. There's a whole weird situation about mental health and he got traded to the Rockets for like a second round pick. And he showed flashes on the Rockets and now, sorry, on the Cavs. And now he's taking that opportunity you know, a little, he has a bigger opportunity now in the Rockets. And with Jalen Green, who's like less of a passer, it's kind of weird to have two wings and, you know, no real point guard. And I think if they had John Wall, I think they would just start three guards. You know, the Thunder did. Was, like, you have John Wall. Right. So, that brings me right, to the next I, point. That brings me to the next point. John, yeah. Wall, John Wall is being paid $47 million to sit courtside. Yeah. Why are they not playing him? Why is this allowed? And why do they not trade him or buy him out? So a couple a couple things came out in past weeks that John Wall apparently wants a big role that the Rockets are not willing to give him, right? Like, if I were the Rockets, I'd feel the same way. You know, I want to give Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, even the young guards like Josh Christopher or whatever young guards are trying to develop on this team you know, to give them the opportunity to see if they're actually something, to see if their young pieces are movable, have value, you know, whatever. <clears throat> and if they do poorly, hey, you kind of want to do poorly. You know, you want a top pick. There's a lot of great players that could perfectly fit the team. So in my opinion, the John Wall situation is tough. Um, if John Wall wanted a smaller role and he was willing to mentor the players, kind of like what Kemba Walker is doing with the Knicks, right? Like Thibodeau feels right now that Kemba Walker is not a good fit for the team. So he said, okay, I'm just not going to play you. And, it, and we're not even paying that much. So it's, it's very different than John Wall, obviously. We're paying only like $8 million. But, you know, Tupac probably said, if you're willing to take, you know, a role of like Udonis Haslam, you know, like a mentor, a mentorship role, then, you know, that, that would be better for the team. And clearly Kemba has a smaller ego than John Wall. But John Wall 
said, I'd rather just sit out than do whatever you want me to do. I think an interesting trade maybe for John Wall. I'll just throw one out. Everyone's seen this trade. It's been everywhere. But to the Clippers for Eric Bledsoe, Serge Ibaka, and Luke Kennard, um, I think that Bledsoe is not playing well. Ibaka is not really like playing well either. Um, Luke Kennard, though, he he's 25 years old. Um, and he averaged 15 points on great efficiency two years ago. So I don't, I don't see, I think it would make sense for the Rockets to just trade him for that. Cause if you get Luke Kennard back, let's say he could average 15 points on the great efficiency that he had just averaged so recently. I think that's a win in the Rockets book, especially because you get off the contract of John Wall and because you get this, this flyer on Luke. And I think the Clippers should do that because like, Bledsoe and Ibaka aren't playing so well for them. And John Wall fits their hole at point guard because they don't have that point guard. Um, so I think that makes it makes a lot of sense for both teams. And I, I think that would be an interesting trade to see. Yeah, I agree. It would definitely be an interesting trade. I see how both teams look at it in a positive way. Um, if I'm the Clippers, I re- it really all depends on Kawhi, right? Because, you know, how far would Paul George and John Wall go you know, in the playoffs, like, yeah, I, but they, I don't they, know could, they could make that chemistry. John Wall and Paul George could make that chemistry this year and then fit Kawhi right in. And then they have that big three, which obviously John Wall's not the player he's ever been, but John Wall is still, when he plays, if he could play, he's a solid NBA player. He's better than Bledsoe's playing right now. Right. No, for sure. I mean, you know, we haven't seen John Wall play, but I'm assuming he could come in and provide a lot for a team, not, prime John Wall but um what we saw from him in Houston when he did play with like Harden in the Oladipo awkward era you know he played pretty well um so I do see that for the Clippers but I mean I'd rather keep a young if I'm the Clippers I'd rather keep a young core you know to build with Paul George and Kawhi you know if they leave similar to like the Warriors like when you know Steph ends up leaving and Clay and Draymond, you know, they're all not too young. You know, I like the core of Jordan Poole, James Wiseman, Moses Moody. Like, you know, you, you like a, a rebound, you know, t- to start, like, playing well with. As opposed yeah, to just, like, team. Yeah, but Luke Kennard's already 25. I don't know if he's that young a player to build around. I think, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, though. Mm-hmm. Also, one more point about the Rockets, and then we will do your next team. Um, Back to the point guard discussion. Um, this year, it's not a heavy point guard draft. The best point guard in the draft is probably Kennedy Chandler. And mm. he's he's not going to be a top five, top ten pick. He's probably going to fall to the leader in the lottery. So I don't know if that's somebody that the Rockets can really target because they're expected to have a bottom five record. Even though they're on this win streak right now, they have a tough schedule ahead of them. I think their next game is against Milwaukee. Um, so that win streak should probably come to a close. If it doesn't, then I'll be very surprised. But um, so I feel like just a perfect fit for this team would be Paulo and Cairo out of Duke. I mean, that would be amazing. But for the Rockets, Shet Holmgren also is good for them. But I don't see them after that, like J.D. Davidson, like players like that. Like, um, the, who's the kid in the G League? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, um, Scoot Henderson. Scoot Henderson. And no, who's the other kid? Jaden Hardy. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think they need players like that when they already have Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. So I think Paulo Rochette would be ideal. 
or maybe if they keep winning games, then they could draft Kennedy Chandler. Okay, what's your next team? Okay, so my next team is a very hot team in the news right now, uh, the Portland Trailblazers. You know, a lot has happened recently, you know, this season and in the past, the mediocrity with this team. I mean, I, I, could go on, I can go on and on about this team, but the main thing is they're currently 11 and 15, 11th in the West. If the playoffs would happen right now, and obviously it's not, but they wouldn't even be in the playing tournament conversation. So this is obviously very disappointing for a team with Damian Lillard, who people have been considering as a, a top 10 player, B, like the best point guard besides Steph Curry. I think that was unanimous besides like Kyrie Irving, but now that Kyrie Irving's not really in the NBA anymore. I think before this season, it was really Damian Lillard was the best point guard in the league besides Steph. So that's kind of disappointing to say that he's leading a team to 11-15. And I do remember on lots of like talks was like first take, a lot of comparisons to Steph and Dame, you know, with their shooting abilities, but clearly that comparison should be gone. I'm not even going to talk so much about Dame's struggles this season, but I do want to focus on the rest of the team. Now, Dame, CJ, and Nurkic have been together for seven years. Every season has ended in either a first-round exit or one fluke, a Western Conference Finals appearance in 2019. Where obviously, they're not getting past the Warriors, but they luckily got past, I think it was the Spurs maybe, then the Nuggets, or I think maybe that was the Thunder, the crazy shot, and then it was the Nuggets, which C.J. McCollum, by the way, did very well, and Dame kind of took it back, so yeah, I remember that. And then also the Warriors, because you're not beating the Warriors ever. So for seven straight years, it was playoff mediocrity and every offseason just hoping and praying that this could be our year. Maybe this could be our year. Never having such a good draft pick, settling for players like Nasir Little, Anthony Simons. Like they, they Nasir, just, Little, yeah. Nasir Little is actually playing well this season. Just want to put it out there. He's no, Yeah, he's great. But And he was I, – I liked him coming out of UNC, even though I'm a Duke fan, but – he didn't even play so much in UNC. He played right. Like, Cam Johnson took his role in UNC. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't get minutes, and I thought that was very weird. I remember because he was a top freshman, like a top recruit coming out of high school. Then he left, and he got drafted at the end of the lottery, I think, if I remember correctly. That's um, where the Portland is, yeah. And then he didn't, he didn't like do anything for the first two, three years, and now he's like playing good defense. He's like scoring, kind of like he's hitting his shots a little, but he's like a good role player. I, I really like him. Right, no, for sure. He definitely has the opportunity now that players like Maurice Harkless and like Jake Lehman are gone, which have been such frustrating players for them in the past. But what I do want to say is that the fact that a team hasn't shucken up a top player, like Dame, CJ, and Nurkic have been on the team for three years. The role players have shucken up, like Norman Powell for Gary Trent, which, by the way, not a good move. Not a good move. Yeah, I remember that move. I was like, that's a good move when it happened. But uh, I don't know what was with me when I thought that. Like, Gary Trent Jr. is so good at basketball. He's a top – he's not a top defender, but he's he's a great defender. No, he's a great shooter, and he's a great scorer. He's not a great playmaker. That's a big knock on him. He has kind of tunnel vision. But he's better than Norman Powell, and Norman Powell's not playing great. Right. So. I think the thought process of the trade in their perspective was, you know – 
we want to try to get value for like a 22 year old Gary Chant. It was interesting because both Gary Chant and Norman Powell were on expiring contracts. So you can't make that argument, but it was like, Oh, I, I want to get value for Gary Chant. If he wants a big contract, maybe he's not that good. He's kind of a spot up shooter. Norman Powell's looking great in Toronto. Maybe we could win right now. Let's do this. But in hindsight, obviously right now, they would rather Gary Chant, the 22 year old than like the 29, 28 year old Norman Powell. Who's good. He's fine. Um, you know, another big addition was the Robert Covington trade, which they acquired in a four-team trade, which I'm not sure how much they actually gave up. You oh, no. Two first-round picks. My bad, my bad. Robert Co- – sorry. Robert yeah, Covington. Larry Nance. Larry Nance. Yeah. Rob, no, Robert Covington and Capella were all in this big four-team trade to the Rockets. Yeah. And Portland, I think this past off, like at draft night maybe, decided to trade two first-round picks – which again, the thought process of, oh, let's use value to get players to win now, that whole thing. And they acquired Robert Covington, who was always viewed as an all-defensive wing defender, one of the better defenders in the league, and a good three-point shooter. But Portland right now is sitting at... Low 20s. I think... 30? Oh, no. They're 28th out of 30 defensive rating. That's, yeah. I think there was a point where they were 30th, but they're basically the worst defense in the league. And it's it's so like, funny because they're the worst defense in the league year after year. They're they're probably they're like five in offense, I think. And year after year, they're just they're just bad on defense, bad on defense. And they keep trying to make these little trades, thinking it's gonna change everything. Oh, trading trading for what's his name? Trading for Larry Nance Jr. That's gonna help our defense. Like it helped a little, but that's not like a difference maker. Robert Covington, he's not. He's not a good one-on-one defender. Yeah, he helps with, like, switches, and he helps with, like, help defense. But if you have an ice on, on Robert Covington, I don't care who you are, you can score. Like, he's not a good one-on-one defender. So the problem is the big three of Dame, CJ, and Nurkic, none of them are good defenders at all. They, that's the problem. So I, if I were them, I would say shake it up. Just, just rebuild. No, that's unanimous. They should obviously rebuild. But the problem is they traded for Robert Covington and um, – Larry Nance Jr., like six, seven years into this, you know, core start. They had multiple years of, you know, the role players. I'm just trying to think of the top of my head. It was like Maurice Harkless. They had Seth Curry try to run with them. Turner. They, Turner. Who? Oh, Evan, Evan Turner. Alan Crabb at one point. Like Alan Crabb. There's so many random players have just came and left and came and left, but they never decided to shake up. Dame, CJ, and Nurkic. The only player you can make the argument for is Dame. That try to build around Dame, but they weren't. They were more building around this big three rather than building around Dame. Because building around Dame, you don't surround Dame with a six foot three shooting guard who's pretty ball down. He can catch and shoot, but Dame's not like an, such an elite playmaker to the point of he could be the Clay Thompson's Dame. No, CJ McCollum is best when he's dribbling the ball and creating like a mid-range shot. He's extremely talented at mid-range shots. Um, and I just want to say that CJ McCollum has been diagnosed with um, something on his lung. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but yeah, he's, he's going to be out for a while, which also shakes up the team a lot this season. Well, um, also, Dame has something wrong with his ab- – I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, he has an ab- abdominal injury. Something. Yeah, it, I don't know. it doesn't seem as serious as CJ, but yeah, they're both they both didn't play last night against the Warriors. Yeah, 
Uh, speaking of the Warriors, I think the Trailblazers kind of they kind of modeled their team after the Warriors, and I feel like that's a big reason why they didn't want to like they didn't want to trade any of their bigs to be. Um, because you could see with the Warriors, they had Curry, Clay, and Draymond. Obviously, that was like the big three, and then role players came in and out, like Harrison Barnes, even Kevin Durant. Obviously, not a role player, but, but now Wiggins. You saw D'Lo for a little, so they tried yeah. to. I feel like they tried to model that as opposed to just like. No, we have a star player. We have we have our LeBron James. Let's build around our LeBron James. Let's not build around our our dynasty. We don't have a dynasty. We have a star player. Let's build around him. And I feel like now it's like almost too late. I don't know how much more years they have. I think I don't think they'll ever win with this with this with this big three. And I don't think I don't even know if they'll ever win with Dame now. I think it's it's too late. Right. And the clear difference between Dame, CJ, Nurkic, and Curry, Clay, and Draymond is defense. Yeah, Clay and Draymond are elite defenders. Yeah. Clay is probably an elite defender. Draymond's always been an elite defender. Exactly. Nurkic is a very poor um, interior defender, and CJ McCollum yeah. is garbage. So <laughs> at defense, right? So that's the, that's the team, and obviously they need to trade. You know, treat Nurkic as if he's. Morris Harkless, like he's not that important to the team. He's an expiring contract. You don't need to resign in Portland. Treat CJ McCollum the same thing. You should have traded him when he was a lot better. Now you're in a terrible situation because he's having major surgery. It's a bad situation with his lung. So he his value is dropped. It's not Portland's fault, but I mean, it's a bad situation for them. And treat him like a role player also. You don't need him. But now we're going to talk about Dame. Yeah. Dame has stated... Time and time again, every time he's asked the question, do you want to leave? How do you feel about Portland? He'll always answer, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here forever. This, this, I mean, maybe not that positive and like enjoyed, but I'll say, oh, the rumors are fake. Like if you go through his Twitter, he's just constantly talking about, oh, he's wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong. Well, that's wrong. Whatever that reporter said, he's wrong. Because Dame wants to portray this loyal side to him. So I do want to ask you, how do you feel about a player being so loyal? And obviously it didn't really work. I mean, you, sh- you could argue he should have left, but like how important is it for a superstar to be loyal? Um, yeah, this is a, it's a big question. It comes up a lot. Yeah. Like with Westbrook, it came up, I remember. With Le- like LeBron, James, right? With Giannis. Recently Giannis. Giannis. Oh, yeah, Giannis. Yeah. And when, when Giannis was staying loyal, everyone was like, bad decision you're not going to win in Milwaukee but look at them so I just think I'm I'm all for someone being loyal if a player wants to be loyal but but it was Dame really loyal is the real question because there are so many reports that he demanded a trade secretly that he wants out that he like told his teammates he's done that he was gonna like sit out like so if it's true that he's just trying to portray himself as a loyal person then like I'm not for that at all. But if he actually is a loyal person, then that's cool. Like, whatever you want to do, do. But, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, he clearly wants to be known that he is a loyal person. But is he really? That's a good question. Another aspect to this Dame situation is the fact that he is eligible for a massive $104 million extension over only two years. I think it's 107. 107, yeah. It's over, know it's, $50, it's over $50 million for a year. A year. That's the most ever of anything. And he's not on an expiring contract. He has like two, three more years. So I think when he's like 35 and 36, he'll be earning $50 million. 
I don't know. The, the reports I heard were that the GMs who they just fired their GM. Portland just fired their GM, Neil Bushley, because of he didn't follow their rules or something. There's not really much reports about that and what actually happened. But the new there are a bunch of candidates now. One of the candidates actually is um somebody who's very close with Damian Lillard's agent, which is interesting to keep in mind. Mm. Um, but they do it doesn't seem like anyone is gonna give him that that 35-year-old, 36-year-old, $50 million extension, which I think if if I'm if I'm Dame and this new GM comes and says I'm not paying you, right? The first thing, the first thing he comes and says, I'm not paying you. I just that's kind of that should be a red flag for him. And he should not that he deserves the contract, obviously. He doesn't deserve the contract. But I mean he does deserve the contract, but like it's crazy. Yeah, and he stayed lower. He deserves a contract, but I don't I don't blame anyone for not giving it to him. But I think I would be surprised. Like I would be surprised if he's just like, oh, okay, fine. Thank you for not giving me the contract. I'll go win games for you now. I feel like it would really make him upset. And I don't know. We could even see him demanding a trade after that. Right. Like from Portland's perspective, you have to give me extension if you know in your head that Dame is gonna request a trade or demand a trade or pull a harden or whatever. If you know, he doesn't receive it. So obviously that's a tough situation for Portland. And I do think that Dame feels that he deserves the contract because he's loyal, like not because of his success with the team, but because he's loyal. So that's one thing. And also he really wants, I, I saw a report that he really wants this like record of being the first person to be paid 55 million in a season, which yeah, sure. Enjoy the money. Um, I think, to give a prediction for what's going to happen, I do think that Dame is going to stay with this loyal thing. You know, I don't think something's going to push him over. I think the Portland's going to continue to suffer because Dame and CJ are out, at least in, in the near future. But I think CJ might be out for a while. That's my prediction. So this team's going to have to make some big changes. Um, Portland's not moving Dame unless, unless Dame requests the trade. So unfortunately, I predict more mediocrity um hopefully they miss the playoffs that they get a top pick if they even have it that would be crazy hopefully they miss the playoffs because then they'll have a top pick um if they have it but um that's my unfortunate they do have they do have their pick okay fine so i actually i just i think i could very well see them rebuilding like trading not rebuilding they're going to keep team. I don't think that Dame's going to be trading unless he demands a trade. I don't see right. that happening. But I can see CJ and Nurkic getting traded at the deadline. But for who? So there's always Philadelphia, but that's been talked about enough. We don't need to talk about Ben Simmons playing with Dame, being yeah. traded for Dame, whatever. I don't even think Philly would do that. I don't think they want CJ McCollum. They have Seth Curry. They have Tobias Harris. They have Tyrese Maxey. They're all good scoring guards. That's not what Philly needs. Yeah. Um. Another team is, I don't know, you could say, like, the Hornets for Nurkic, maybe. I'm not even trying to think of a team. My thing is that I don't think CJ and Nurkic have the value to get you a young piece that's, like, actually, like, solid. You can get, like, a random, like, bad young player, sure. Right, what about what about CJ McCollum for, for Cam Reddish? And and other players to make the contracts work, like Solomon Hill, whatever, other players. But I'm saying Cam Reddish is a good return if you're really just trying to 
it's it's a fine return and you're betting on his potential and he probably needs a contract extension soon. And if the Hawks really wants, like, I don't know if the Hawks, like, I think the Hawks value Cam Reddish enough to know that CJ, he'll fit, but he can't oh, provide. No, I think that's a good team. You had CJ to that team, that's that's better. Reddish doesn't even play so much now. Yes, no, he has I, potential, but, and like, right. that's what they're banking on. They're trying to train him. I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I think the Hawks would say yes to that. And I think that's, that's a fine return for CJ McCollum. Yeah, you're right. You're not going to get much better than that. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, but it is sad to see a player like CJ McCollum, who I think it was last season where he started off like an all-star caliber player and then he got injured, so he's not making an all-star team, being yeah. in talks to be traded for Cam Reddish. Like, it, it's sad, but it's unfortunate. And that's what happens when you wait so long to make a move because you'd rather be mediocre and bet on beating the Golden State Warriors rather than make a move. Okay, well, speaking of this, let's move on to a team that has the opposite approach and did exactly what we want Portland to do. The Indiana Pacers just announced – there's a Shams um, from the Athletics reported – from the Athletic reported that um, the Pacers are – that they have placed Sabonis, Karis Liver, and Miles Turner all on the trade block. I don't know what that means for Malcolm Brogdon, but we'll get back to that. Um, Sabonis is averaging 17.8 points – Per game, 12 rebounds and shooting above 55% from the field. Levert's averaging just under 15 points per game. And Miles Turner is averaging, he's shooting 39% from three with 2.8 blocks a game. He's only okay. averaging 13 points, but it's only on 8.8 field goal attempts. And Ezra, how old is he? Um, He's young. How old is he? He's 25. Exactly. Okay. He's already so good. We could talk about Sabonis. We could talk about Levert. I I think Miles Turner is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. I think if um, Mitchell Robinson, right, we're Knicks fans, if Mitchell Robinson had three blocks a game and shot 40% from three, we'd be calling him, like, I don't even know. Like, he'd, be, he'd, he'd literally be, I think he'd be an all-star. Like, I'm not even joking. Forget about his points. Forget about everything else. If he was having three blocks and 40% from three, like, we would be going crazy. Mitchell Robinson averages, like, one and a half blocks per game. And we're like, wow, he's so good. We're so happy with him. But, like, I think Miles Turner is criminally underrated. Yeah, Mitch is just a lob throw. I mean, Miles Turner is so much more. Which is which is the part of the problem. He's he's only taking 8.8 field goal attempts. Just to put that in perspective, Precious Achua takes takes more shots a game um, than Miles Turner does. And Precious Achua is literally just – a, role, a rim runner. He doesn't, he can't shoot like Miles Turner can. He can't even like hit layups like Miles Turner can. He could just dunk and catch lobs. So I think uh, it's, it's crazy that he takes more shots. And even on the own, on his team, on the Pacers, Justin Holiday takes more shots than Miles Turner. And Miles Turner, just, I think he's just, he could score more ways than Justin Holiday can. And he's a big man. He's big, which means if he's, if he's in the corner, if he's, he's coming a pick and pop. That's that's he gets way he gets open way more than Justin Holiday trying to like trying to create his own shot or coming off picks. I think a big man gets open way more. I don't. I just disagree with the game plan of um who's it Rick Carlisle now? Yeah. yeah. Um. Also, Miles Turner also disagrees with me because Ma because Athletics the Athletic reported today that um. Miles Turner has said, it's clear that I'm not valued as anything more than a glorified role player. And I want something more, more opportunity. I'm not valued as more than, I'm not valued as more than a rotation, a rotational role player. And I hold myself in a higher regard than that. 
talking about his situation in Indiana and his offensive opportunities. And I think he's 100% right. I think I think he, he needs more shots. And if not, then they should just get him out of there. There's no reason that he should be wasting his time not putting up more than 10 shots a game. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, just about Indiana as a whole. I mean, Master, Ma- I 100% agree with you. Um, amazing player, has showed great three-point potential. You know, this one game against the Knicks, he had like a personal record of like eight threes in the game. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, he's amazing. I agree with you. Talking about Indiana as a whole, I've I've always, I think since they played against the Heat when, when they made the finals in the bubble, I felt that they really should have should blow it up. Like I just felt that they really should blow it up. And they were hesitant too. And now they finally are, but it's similar to Portland where like, I mean, why did it take so long? I guess the bonus is 25 and Turner's 25. So those are actually, you know, good, pretty young pieces to keep on your team to build around. But they have so many like near 30 year old players. TJ McConnell's 29. Uh, they, they traded for Karis Levert out of nowhere. Oh, no, sorry. They traded Old Depot for Levert, and Levert's 27. Brogdon's 29. Um, Chris Dorth is out of nowhere. He's a rookie, but he's 24 as a rookie, so that's very interesting. Um, but this whole team is very just – it screams mediocre, like Portland. And they don't have Dame. They don't have anyone as talented as Dame. You can't argue that Sabonis is near Dame. Like, this team is just the most mediocre team I can even think of. And – Mediocre is the worst thing you want in the NBA. So blowing it up, it's it's an easy it's an easy adjustment. It's exactly, an easy- and that's why that's why it's so good that they're actually doing it. Portland's we're, Portland didn't say they're blowing it up. Portland's probably not going to blow it up. But yeah. Indiana, they said they're going to blow it up, and I think that's 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 a big step since clearly it's so hard to just admit that you have to blow it up. And yeah, um, I'll throw out some trades for the three players or even four. Just tell me, yeah. Okay, fine. So first one is Miles Turner to Golden State for James Wiseman. And Otto Porter would have to come back to Indiana to make the contracts work. But like I think this is perfect. Um for the Warriors side of it, when when the Warriors in the last few last few weeks, maybe a few months of last year's season, the War um James Wiseman got hurt and the Warriors started playing much better. They started they started winning much more games without him. And um I think that now also he hasn't played in probably a little under a year maybe um yeah less than a year but he hasn't played in a long time and they're starting off and seeing the words they're playing so well so i think that um them wiseman doesn't really fit the team as we've seen he, he they don't play as well when he's on the floor but i think a player like miles turner can fit because he's he's he can do everything kevin looney could do Kevin looney could do on the defensive end and if not better Right, because he's he's a great rim protector. Like I think he's the best rim protector. I would say he's better rim protector right now than Rudy Gobert is, um, especially because he could move on the perimeter and Rudy Gobert can't really move on the perimeter. But Miles Turner would fit so well in Golden State. Even just standing in the corner is is better than Kevon Looney clogging the paint or standing on the corner not being a threat. So he could space the floor, and also he could he could catch the same lobs and put up the same layups that Kevon Looney get. He's just a way better version of Kevon Looney. I think it would fit perfectly. So I I think that's a good trade. What do you think? You know that Turner, the, the idea of just Turner for Wiseman and whatever else you want to add is such a beautiful idea. Like it's perfect for the Pacers. You know, really young center. He was literally just drafted number two overall, um, and he's injured. So like 
if you want to tank a little bit this season, you can and just have him jump back in and like practice with the team, build chemistry, whatever. It's a perfect situation for Wiseman. He'll have a great opportunity since you're trading Turner. And if they eventually trade bonus, he's the big man for a team, which is perfect for him. Um, and for the Warriors, I mean, yeah, it's again, perfect. It's a three point shooter, a rim protector. That's like literally the two things that Golden State is, is elite at shooting and defense. So the one concern I can like think of is that so many of Golden State's offense is around like playmaking. And I mean, from a lot of the Warriors games I've watched, Kevon Looney has been like a almost like Sabonis type playmaker. Maybe he's not a good playmaker, but Steph and Draymond and Wiggins makes him like a like just a passer. Like if you pass to Kevon Looney on the post, like his go to isn't to like drop step and score because he's not that good at it. So the offense is he's gonna pass it out. So if Turner can just pass it out like Kevon Looney does, that's great. Um. I also but, think I also think Turner's offense, his other offensive skills like his shooting and his scoring, make up for that. Like Kevon Looney doesn't chop step and score because he's not, he can't. But Miles Turner can, and also I think Miles Turner probably could just pass out from the like from the post. But even if he can't, I think his other offensive skills make up for it. Yeah, no, it definitely is an amazing trade. Yeah. Okay, and similar one is Miles Turner to Charlotte for PJ Washington in a first. I, I love this one so much. You get PJ Washington and a young player and a pick back in return for Miles Turner. Even though I don't know how much I think PJ Washington's 22, 23, maybe. So I think it's not much younger than Miles Turner, but like he's he doesn't have as much as much experience and he's still he's still um progressing and getting better. So you have that and also you get the pick. And I just for Charlotte, you don't really need PJ Washington because they have Miles Bridges. Um, but they do need a big man. So I think it makes sense for Charlotte to, and he fits the team. I, I would like to see pick and pops with LaMelo and Miles Turner. And also he could throw it down Miles Turner again. So he could, he could catch lobs also. Yeah. For Charlotte, I think that's their biggest hole this season is that Mason Plumley and PJ Washington have been trying to fill um, that center spot in. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how much, um, Miles Turner is going to fit offensively different than PJ Washington because they're similar offensive type players. Like we said, Turner only shoots like eight times a game. A lot of them are threes. That's what PJ Washington does also. But defensively, that's what makes him a better player than PJ Washington. And from the Pacers side, it's just PJ Washington at first is great, but I just, if I'm the Pacers, I want more. Like I feel like Miles Turner is such a valuable player and he's 25 that I want more from, from other teams that really need him, like the Hornets. Like, I want um, to throw in Boak Knight, maybe Kai Jones, maybe a pick. Like, I want, I want the Hornets to, to, like, want him more. I want to be able to convince the Hornets that Master will change your franchise around and give me more. So Yeah, so um, I think that my trade is just a base trade. Like, for sure, you could throw in more, like, another pick or Boak Knight or other players like that, for sure. Okay, the yeah. next one is the just Levert and Malcolm Brogdon and a first round pick for Ben Simmons. Um this is you only really do this if you're trading Sabonis and Turner also. But it makes sense. Brogdon fits well. I think Brogdon fits really well on the Sixers. And yeah. Levert's also just a scorer. He could be off the bench. Again, they don't need another score scoring wing because they have so many of those with Curry, Maxi, Harris, 
Um, but I think I don't, I just think that's a, I think that's a good trade, and it's probably good value back for Ben Simmons because I don't know what they think they can get for him as of now. But yeah, I mean, what the Sixers really need next to Embiid is just an All Star score. Like, I I really thought like with Ben Simmons leaving that maybe Tobias Harris would have a bigger role offensively, kind of, and that he would like be like not a unanimous all-star, but like an all-star caliber player. He's kind of just floating and kind of the same player he was previous seasons. And Embiid really needs that player that can like draw attention offensively, like Dame and Harden. And Malcolm Brogdon's a good, a good offensive player for sure. Um, If we're talking realistically, I literally have no idea what a Ben Simmons trade looks like. I don't know what Darren Moore would do. I don't know what Ben Simmons would do on any team, so I have no idea. But assuming Ben Simmons would be willing to play for Indiana and Darimore would be willing to trade for Levert and Brogdon, which I think I remember seeing a rumor of like maybe like a month ago, two months ago. Um, I do love this trade for both teams. Um, ben Simmons, a young player who has potential if he's in the right mindset, I guess. Um, and Levert and Brogdon would help um, surround Embiid with the right talent. So, yeah. I have three more just fast. Um, Bagley and Davion Mitchell versus bonus. Bagley and Davion Mitchell and picks. I don't know what picks they would do, but whatever the Pacers want, I think. But I don't know. I feel like that's just a fun one. That's very unrealistic. I like that one though. Um, Sabonis bringing Sabonis to Sacramento would be would be fun to have. I think that would help their team. Maybe they can make a push for play in the tournament. Not that that's what they should be doing, but we're not talking about Sacramento right now. Um. Mm-hmm. And Indiana getting Bagley back, obviously that's not such good return. Bagley, um, Damian Mitchell, and and picks whatever picks, but Bagley, I don't know. I've, I I still have faith in Bagley. I think he, like if you see him now, he plays now. He's actually playing very little, but he is playing. At the beginning, he wasn't in the rotation at the beginning of the season, but you see him hitting his corner threes. He has like a nice spin move a game where he has like a nice dunk. Um, he finishes and he he's, his defense isn't isn't so good it's not it's like it should be a big concern right now but he doesn't play enough to get into the defensive mode like he plays in spurts so I think that's a fun trade yeah I mean I obviously think the Pacers could get much better for Sabonis you know he was an all-star yeah, yeah I know I, I it's not very realistic but I think it's uh, it's fun um another one is Miles Turner to Brooklyn for Joe Harris Cam Thomas and a first getting Cam Thomas and a first round pick is good is good for a rebuild and Joe Harris. Maybe you could flip him again. I don't know, but Miles Turner would fit very well, very, very well in Brooklyn. Obviously, no, I don't need to explain that one. That's very good for Brooklyn. I don't know if Indiana would really do that. Maybe if they got, I was going to do more first, but Brooklyn doesn't have more first. Right. Again, it's the same. It's the same concern of like, I, I want more for Turner, but from Brooklyn's end, I would be so as a Knicks fan, I would be so mad. If that happened, because then the Nets would be really good. Yeah, that would be. Cre- yeah, I don't. It's not realistic either. This one I think is realistic. Um, Sabonis to Atlanta. I already said Atlanta, but Sabonis for to Atlanta. I said what did I say Atlanta for? For Dame for CJ yeah. for CJ. Yeah, Sabonis for Cam Reddish, Jalen Johnson, and two first round picks, and then you throw in Delon Wright to Indiana and Oshie Brissett to Atlanta just to make the contracts work. But I, I like that trade a lot. I think. Adding another, adding another all-star caliber player to Atlanta would be, would be scary for them. Um, then, and then you move John. Coll- you can either move John Collins. You move John Collins to the bench, uh, or you play. You play the three of them. 
you play um John Collins, Sabonis, and Capella. You play all three and you go very big. Um, I don't know. I think that's just fun. Then you have Gallo on the bench. You have like Hunter on the bench. I I think that that's that would be that would be a scary team. And I, I think that would, that's fair for both. Like that's a good return for Sabonis. You got a bunch of young players and a bunch of picks. It's a nice idea, but I really think the Hawks have a good like front court of John Collins and Capella. It doesn't really get much better than that. John Collins is an amazing offensive player, and Capella is an amazing defensive player. So, like, whoever's in the paint on either side of the floor is really – There's no Sabonis at the three. That's what I'm saying. Sabonis at the three is too many concerns to start. But... Just the defense. <laughs> um, yeah, let's do, let's do one more team. What's your last team? Okay, so a team that I really want to talk about hmm, – there's a couple. Maybe this will be quick, but I do want to – I do want to say that the Utah Jazz are in an underratedly bad situation. And I'll explain. Yeah, please. Yeah. So, obviously, the Utah Jazz are, like, the kings of the regular – not, like, the Sacramento Kings, but, like, the best of the regular season. Like, they just run through the regular season. Um, But, I mean, every postseason, they just can't beat these top teams. They, they, they blew through one lead to the Nuggets in the bubble. Um, they lost the Rockets, like, multiple times. They – who did they recently lose to? They lost to the Clippers this past offseason. So, it's like, are they a top team? Um, because, like, they're losing to, the like, the real top teams. And in the regular season, they're the best team. But in the playoffs, they're losing to the top teams every year. So, it's weird. And – just to look at this roster for a second, Donovan Mitchell, amazing, pretty much a superstar, 25 years old, averaging 24 points per game this season, amazing. The next highest scorer is Boyan Bogdanovich, 16.8 points a game. That's pretty great. He's 32 years old, so that's their second leading scorer. Okay. Rudy Gobert, he's great, but he's 29, and I'm kind of scared to see when his athleticism is going to stop his vertical is going to get lower his I mean he's 29 so I don't the window is small Jordan Clarkson's 29 then the next up score Mike Conley is 34 and he's he's obviously regressed from his grooves these days and he's still a very very quality player he's an all-star he's an all-star. last year right yeah, yeah he's a very quality player um I think he's an injury and he's an all-star caliber player nonetheless then he's averaging 14. Then you have like Rudy Gay, 35. Royce O'Neal, 28. Joe Ingles is a key piece to their offense. He's 34. So if you think about it, the window is like this year and next year. And then in two years from now, I mean, they're going to be so old. So I, they, I just think they have to make a move like now. Like they have to trade Bogdanovich. But which do you think it should be a move to a win now move or a rebuild move? They could go two directions right now. They could either trade for like McCollum and add another scorer, or they could trade for they could trade away Gobert. I mean, I want them to do what the Raptors did with Norman Powell, trade him for a player of similar value, but younger. So I want a player like Bogdanovich, but like Kevin Herter instead, because he's like 10 years younger. Like I want someone who could average 17 points in the right opportunity, but not 32. So I don't feel like the window is so closed. That's so I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think with the Jazz, they have they have two options, and I don't think they 
staying the course is one of those options. They could rebuild or they could buy. I, I would be interested. Do you think they could pull together a trade for Dame? No, they can't. I don't think it would fit the team. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it it's a, if you it's add a, a good point guard, but it reduces your defense like crazy, which is a big part of their success. Yeah, but a big part of their success isn't offense. So you would just be replacing it with way better offense. No, what? what? A big part of their success is offense. Yeah, but their offense. Is, I'm saying their defense is top of the league. Their offense is not not like top five, is it? No, it's not. It's probably not top five. But I'm saying, I think if you add Dame, that that really brings up your offense and your defense will go down a little. But I think it would it would even it out. Oh no, they're yeah, they're not top. Offense. They're number one in offense. No way, really? No way. They're number one in offensive rating. The, the Warriors are. As of this second, the Jazz are number – I think they're playing right now. That's funny. They're number one offensive rating. Okay. Um, Never mind. The argument still stands. Like, Dame could make them the best offense of all time. I don't yeah, know. Like, yeah. Like, you could still get better offense. But I, I think okay. – I don't know how big of a hit it would take on their defense. I mean, the question is, what is the – like, what are you giving up? If you're giving that, up they Mike Conley – For the contracts, but then what other assets do you have? Exactly, but you're like, you're gonna have to give up defenders, and that's gonna lower your defense. Like, how many picks could they give up? They could give up six picks. But then again, we saw that James Harden, when James Harden got traded, what what players did he get traded for? Yep, traded for Jared Allen. No, Car- he didn't. Jared Allen was a different trade. Basically, they just needed to get rid of him because of contract. No, no, the Rockets had Jared Allen. No, the no, they didn't. He went straight to Cleveland, and then Cleveland gave a first back, and then it was first- all part of the. Yeah, so, they needed to get rid of the contract, though. It wasn't like, oh, let's get rid of Jared Allen. Let's let's send Jared Allen for, um, to what's it called? To, to Houston. It wasn't that. It was they need to get rid of. But what the Nets lost for Harden was Allen, Levert, and a lot of picks. But they could have done it without Allen. I'm saying they would have just had to trade a different player. I don't know, I don't know if that's true. I don't think it so. is. I'm telling you, it's just the contracts. Like the every team would have agreed. Okay, fine. Because they traded, they literally just traded Allen for a first round pick to mm-hmm. Cleveland, like, and they got it back, the first round pick back. It was that was a one on one trade. It was just like in, in, at the same time to get rid of Jared Allen. I'm just saying t- that was to make the contracts work. But if you didn't even make the contracts work, then they just gave up Kara Silver. And yeah, he's better than Mike Conley is, but Harden's also better than Dame, so you had to give up more. I, don't I mean, know, the, I really, the real answer is Utah has no. No young player for Portland to want. Yes, but I think maybe a a, con, a collection of picks. I don't know. That'd be. I'm saying that'd be cool. I think. Yeah, it's possible. It would be cool. Okay. Um. Thanks everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed the three point podcast. Tune into next episode. Wow, when is that going to be? We'll see. <laughs> okay, see. So.